Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Before we get today's episode started, we wanted to remind you that we just launched Just One Episode, a Caroline and Jackie Patreon. Just One Episode is a podcast that changes every week. It's hosted by my mini episode co-host, Jackie Johnson of Natch Butte, and me, Caroline Moss of G Thanks Just Bought It. We have so much fun hosting the mini episodes of our own podcast together that we thought it was time to start something entirely new this time on Patreon. Just One Episode features a brand new topic, brand new cover art, and brand new theme song. Yes, we sing along to all of them each week. This week is true crime, and next week you'll have to subscribe to find out. If you have an idea for us or think of something specific you want us to make just one episode on, you're in luck because patrons become part of the Mountain Dew Producers Circle, hashtag not spawn, with exclusive access to all episodes, ad-free, private group chats, video recaps, and more. The Mountain Dew Producers Circle, hashtag not spawn, will also be able to weigh in on topics, be part of new episode brainstorms, and generally just direct us in this new venture. This is just the beginning, so you'll want to get in on the ground floor while you can. P.S. Both G Thanks and Natch Butte are totally free podcasts, and supporting us on this Patreon is a wonderful and absolutely appreciated way to support or all that we create. That's why there's a $2 palette patrons level for those who just want to keep that free content flowing. We see every name that subscribes, and we pledge our undying gratitude and love to you. We'll see you on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash just one episode. podcast where we talk about what we just bought and what you might need to buy next. I'm your host, Caroline Moss, and today I am joined with the founder of one of my favorite Facebook groups. You've heard me talk about it before. It's Joyful Eating for Your Family with Nicole Cruz. She is a registered dietitian in the Southern California area. Um, This came up on the episode with Casey Johnston, Swole Woman, and my journey of sort of relearning my relationship with food as a child learns their relationship with food. So I think I'm one of the only people, Nicole, in this group called Joyful Eating for Your Family that is just there as a person with no children, uh, just for myself. But I've learned so much and I'm so, so happy to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And you are not the only person. I just even like two days ago or something saw somebody else comment about this is exactly what I needed to hear to reparent myself because she has no kids either. And just finding the information to be things that we can all think about when we're even feeding ourselves. So it's kind of amazing just, you know, and, you know, my parents sometimes tune into the podcast. So mom, dad, if you're out there no shade on you. You know, it was the nineties, um, or the eighties whenever you were parenting me. Um, but, 
you know, it's a different world out there in the way that we talk about food. And a lot of the things that I kind of thought, and I think a lot of G Thanks listeners think of as fact or rule are actually just sort of based in like weird, like, like uh, BMI or, and, you know, right. the term obesity or what they call in your Facebook group, the O word. I noticed that people don't like to say it. And I agree with that. Um, it's stuff that, uh, you know, I'm learning, thinking back and being like, of course, you know, every parent during that time did what they could with the tools that they had. But like, there's no wonder why we're all kind of fucked up around the subject. You teach something called division of responsibility, which I think is so interesting. Can you tell everybody a little bit about what DOR is? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I teach this approach, which comes from um, Ellen Satter is her name. She's a licensed clinical uh, social worker and a registered dietitian. And she, I, I can't remember like what book it was in that I read or what one of her books, she has multiple books. And she says, you know, she was sitting there with a mother and a child trying to do nutrition counseling and help this mother with, you know, feeding her child. And the mom saying like, I just don't understand why I can't get him to, you know, eat X, Y, and Z or why I can't get him to stop eating. I forget whatever the mom's saying. I can't get him to do it. And suddenly Ellen Satter just blurts out like, because that's not your job. And that's really where she came up with this approach to feeding, which outlines what the parent's job is in the feeding relationship and what the child's job is in the feeding relationship. So the division of responsibility is exactly what it says. Like, what is your responsibility when feeding and what is your child's responsibility when eating? And so basically what that is, is that parents are in charge of what we say are the what, when, and where of food. So what are you serving? You get to decide. Is that, you know, pizza and breadsticks and salad or is it chicken and rice and broccoli? Like whatever you're serving, you're in charge of the what, the when, So the when is, you know, 6 p.m. for dinner, 7 a.m. for breakfast, whatever it might be. So the what, the when, and the where. Are we eating at the kitchen table? Are we eating out on the patio tonight? Are we having a picnic in front of the TV? So parents are in charge of the what, when, and where. And then children show up and they get to decide how much, if any, to eat from what is provided. And that's really key that, you know, we're not saying, oh, kids just get to eat whatever they want and they can go raid the cupboards and they can say, instead of this meal, I want you to cook me mac and cheese. Um, it's from the food that's provided, but then the kids can show up to the table and decide I'm not hungry. I don't want to eat, or, um, you know, I want five pieces of pizza and nothing else tonight. So they get to decide how much to eat from what's provided. And if they say, I'm, I don't want to eat any of this. What, what does the parent do? They say, okay, you don't have to eat, right? Like, or that's what I say, like the number one thing that you always need is to be able to just say, you don't have to eat it. Like they say, I don't want to eat, you don't have to eat it. They say, I don't want this meal. I want, you know, whatever, this is what we're having, but you don't have to eat it. Mm -hmm. So we're just really giving them that control to decide. Of course, you guys, this runs like a lot deeper. I'm just also sort of parroting some of the questions and comments I see in the group um, from time to time, which is like, well, what happens if, you know, they don't want to eat dinner? No problem. Fine. Tables cleared. Food's put away. Mom, I'm hungry. Like, I want cereal. I want this. You know, what does the parent say to that? Because it's a uh, it's a you know, it's a sort of a hard line between the 
the restriction of food versus like this is not a free for all, you know, dinner is served at this time and and here's what, you know, what I'm giving you. Yeah. I mean, one thing is like we talk about it, right, as being this like overall philosophy and approach. It's not something that like you try on for a week and you're like, oh, well, that didn't work for us. Right. Right. So I think that's really important because kids need this. This model is based on trust and kids need to trust that food will be provided regularly and consistently. And you also need to trust your child to be able to navigate the food and listen to their body and eat what they need. So it, it's really all about trust. But I say that in response to your you know, question around it because, because kids have to know that this is what we're doing, right? Like if we're just someday saying, okay, have the cereal after dinner, then they're going to keep asking for cereal after dinner and they're not going to eat their meal. Mm -hmm. But if they understand that, no, this is how we do it and we're consistent with it, then they're going to know if I don't eat my food, I don't get cereal Mm -hmm. after dinner or whatever it is. And so, um, so we really have to be consistent with it and it's going to take time for your child to realize like, Oh, this is how we're doing it. But it's not in a, it's not in like a treat way. If I don't eat this, I don't get cereal. It's more like, this is, this is dinner. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm if, like, I'm going to think ahead to, am I going to feel hungry later? And if I know that like, oh, I'll just, you know, my mom will make me something else or I'll just get cereal or I'll just eat a snack or whatever. If I know that that's not how it works, then I'm maybe more inclined to try what's on my plate. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's why that structure is so important with it. Right. And a lot of people will say, it's funny, I get both, um, responses around it. Like either people say it's way too strict, you know, my kid should be able to eat more if they want, or other people are like, that's crazy to not make my kid eat and give them that much, you know, say in what they're going to eat. So people either think it's like too liberal or too strict, either one. Um, but really it's that structure. So it's having boundaries and structure around it without forcing our child to eat or, you know, cutting them off from eating a certain amount or something Mm -hmm. like that. So, um, yeah, so it's not about a treat or anything. It's just, this is the structure that is set up around the food. So we have, you know, breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, and you might even have a bedtime snack depending on what time you eat dinner Mm -hmm. and everything. And so, but that's all built into the structure. It's not dependent on whether your child eats their dinner or not. So, right. Right. So you might still offer a bedtime snack, but it's not a treat because they did eat. So you're saying, oh, you finish your plate and then you can have cereal or food is not a punishment or an incentive in the division of responsibility, which I think is what we all get caught up in a lot. And and how I think food was presented to a lot of us growing up, you know, dessert was always sort of like you can't have X until you eat Y. Um, And D.O.R. comes from a place of sort of like food neutrality and like assigning no moral value to food, which I think is super interesting and smart, but obviously, you know, unlearning that is really hard. And what I see a lot in the group, like I find it hard enough to unlearn this as a person who's not raising a child to have a relationship with food. Like I feel for parents who are like, I really want to do this. I'm doing my best. I can't believe how, many biases and beliefs that are still stuck with me about the way that I was raised with food. And I'm trying not to let my kid see that. Um, or, or parents whose partner, whether it's, you know, really there is kind of no like gender specific 
anything to this, but like some parents have a partner who's like not on board with DOR and like that makes it really difficult. Um, But I like the idea of like, you know, uh, a lot of parents choose to serve like dessert with dinner. And if your child only wants to eat the cupcake, like that can be a little stressful at first because all of a sudden your mind goes to like, I remember one woman was like, if he only eats the cupcake at dinner, he's only going to ever eat the cupcake at dinner. And then he's going to go to college and he's only going to eat cupcakes. And I want to be like, let me tell you something about never getting cupcakes at dinner as a child and what I ate when I went to college. It was a lot of cupcakes, you know, in the strongest term of the word. But like when uh, I'm sure you see this all the time and, and probably what backs up a lot of your teaching is that like the restriction method like doesn't work. Like if you put something on a high shelf, it's only going to make it more appealing. Um, exactly. So you, so you, you know, in the beginning, and like you said, it's not like, oh, we tried it for two days and it didn't work. It is a long, it's a, it's a relationship building tool. Um, is, is tell me about the parents who tell me about like, you know, how you approach those beginning days where kids are like, you know, maybe a child has already been exposed to sort of biases around sugar or sweets or treats or candy or whatever. And now, you know, you're serving a brownie with dinner and that's all they eat. Like, do you get panicked parents calling you saying like, my kid's only eating brownies for like two weeks? Like what, you know, what's your response to that in terms of like the bigger picture of division of responsibility? Yeah, I think that's like the expectation actually that I have is that if you have been doing this differently and you have been holding out, you know, sweets as some sort of reward or a bribe, if you've been forcing your child to try two bites of their vegetables or to finish their plate, basically, if you haven't been following the division of responsibility, and then you go to implement it, the expectation is that your child is going to want to eat the things that have been put up on the pedestal that they have felt restricted from or like they weren't allowed to have as much of. And they're not going to want to eat the things that they were forced to eat. Like that's just going to be the pendulum swinging in rebellion and rebounding and them Mm. testing to see like, is is she really going to let me just eat dessert? How many donuts can I eat? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So it's really a phase that, you know, we haven't talked about intuitive eating at all, but that often people go through when they're first starting to even heal their own relationship with food. If they've been on restrictive diets in the past, whether that is, you know, the whole 30, which is a diet, um, like the whole 30 or going to Weight Watchers or cutting out gluten, like no matter what these limits are that you've put on yourself, if you let those go, you likely are going to go just as hard the other way towards wanting those foods even more when you first let down your guard around it. And that's what we can expect of our children too, that when we drop those limits, they're going to want to swing the other way and, you know, really test and see, is that, is she really going to let me get away with this? Are they really going to let me? And just a natural response as well to wanting those foods more, you know, if they've been restricted and then we see it come back into feeling a bit more balanced. Um, In fact, I just did a call the other day with somebody that's in my, I I also have, this is a a free Facebook group. I also run a um, a course called Feature Family with Confidence. And it's like an eight-week program and we do group coaching calls and one of the parents was on there and her daughter did exactly what we're talking about, just 
she's like, she has not touched a vegetable in weeks and she's eating far more sweets and she seems more preoccupied with them than she was when I was making her, you know, at least try a bite of everything. And just saying like, I'm really actually skeptical of this approach. Like, I don't know, you know, this doesn't seem like it's in balance. This doesn't seem healthy. Like we really have to see that this is like feeding for the long term. This is feeding for the future, right? It's not about these six weeks that she hasn't eaten a vegetable. This is about her relationship with food. And by our last week in the program, she was like, oh my gosh, I feel like we just had a breakthrough. We, you know, cause I really encourage like fun and creativity and, and making food feel more joyful right. as opposed to just like, you need to eat your vegetables. So she got, we talked about this in one of our calls and she came back to the next one. She got out all the condiments out of their fridge and put out all these vegetables and they had like a vegetable tasting party. And she's like, I just feel like she was so excited about it. She even turned around and was like, can we try a new dressing on our kale salad? And like, (laughs) you know, so excited. And her mom's like, wait, what? What just happened? (laughs) Like, right. She's not forcing her to take bites. She's not doing anything. She just tried to make food more fun and take all that pressure away. Mm -hmm. And now her daughter's excited about veggies again. And so, right. But this is a kid that wasn't touching them for the six weeks or so. And so we really just have to let them go through that process before they can come into a space where they actually might want to try the veggies. And that's the important piece, right? Because I'm always like, what's the difference if you force your kid to eat two bites of broccoli at dinner for the time until they're, you know, 12 years old or something, but now they don't want to touch broccoli for the next 70 years of their life because they were forced to eat it. right? Right. Like, where's the health in that? You know, it is interesting. I mean, so much of, of parenting is, you know, of course, I mean, I think (laughs) as a non-parent, I can say, so I think so much of parenting or the way I was parented is like a lot of this stuff is like learned by experience. You know, a lot of, of your relationship with food will be determined. It can't be, it can't be, um, controlled by like an outside source because then that all feeds into like intuitive eating which DOR is sort of like um like a hand holding of intuitive eating for children who like don't have those skills or body signals yet to be able to intuitively eat or that you know that education around it but as an adult yeah they say just like no restrictions eat whatever you want and then what ends up happening is you you start like learning by doing where you're like huh like I let myself eat 12 donuts, but like, I don't feel like my stomach hurts or like, you know, I feel like I'm going to throw up. That's, that's something that no one can like, you have to find that out for yourself. Um, and I see that a lot in the group too, where it's like, well, what if all my child only eats, you know, brownies for dinner and then he like throws up, but it's like, well, you kind of almost let him because you could tell him if you eat this, you're going to feel sick. But like, if they experience it for themselves, they can then be able to trust their body and be like, Oh, like, I know what this feels like. I'm going to like course correct. Um, and I always just think that that's so interesting because it's so true. You know, you can't like, I grew up where there was like no junk. We really didn't have any junk food in the house. And it was a lot of like, you know, begrudgingly eating your vegetables or whatever. And I turned into a kid who like snuck food and who went to their friends' houses who had junk food and just like went crazy because it was like, I don't, you really don't know when you're getting it next. 
Um, and I remember when I first learned to drive, I was like, oh my gosh, I can go to McDonald's. Like I'm like the, like, like there is something so wrong that like the first place I wanted to go was McDonald's. I was like, I can take myself to McDonald's. Um, and I think a lot of it was just like, when you think it's going to go away or you don't know where it's coming from next, it makes it so, so appealing. And I always thought it was so funny. And now I have, you know, more language and knowledge around this topic to see it for what it was. But like a lot of my friends who grew up in houses with pantries full of cookies and snacks and crackers, like weren't like, like eating, like they were like, well, they're always there. They're always there. And then my mom buys more. And I'm like, that's wild to me. Like if there was a bag of chips in my house, like it was like, when are we eating those chips? When are we eating those chips? When are we eating those chips? Or like, how can I get a chip without my mom realizing that I like took a chip? And like, just a lot of like weird relationship stuff around food that that had that followed me into my adulthood. Um, and it's I can't even imagine how how impressionable a different approach would be on a really really young kid. Yeah, absolutely. And you touched on so many things there. Um, uh, just to speak to what you were just saying, though, so often what everyone thinks, right, is that we need to be more controlling. We need more restriction. If your child likes chips, we need more, you know, to teach them that they're unhealthy. We need to not buy them or keep them in the house. Like we need to control it more. And the truth is that it's the exact opposite that really it's about more permission. It's about allowing them to have it more. So again, like you were just saying, right, they trust it we'll just have more again. We'll have more again. They're not going anywhere. So I don't have to eat as much as I can right now because I'm going to have the opportunity to have them again and again and again. And this is very common with things that we call, you know, quote unquote, junk food or with sweets, because those are the things that culturally we're always taught are bad foods and we shouldn't have. And parents wanting to raise healthy kids want their want their kids to be healthy, right? So they don't want to bring all of those foods around. They want to teach their child to right. not have too many of them. But really what we end up doing is creating a greater preoccupation around them and our child just feels more pulled to them. And, and Caroline, you're not alone because I have so many stories of people who shared, I have the you know, I have friends that tell me that the neighborhood kid comes over and they now hide the fruit roll-ups because every time that kid comes over, they find fruit roll-ups all over their pantry, like the trash, because the kid's going in their pantry and sneaking it because his mom has a zero sugar house, right? Like they don't allow sugar in the house. And so now the kid is sneaking the neighbor's fruit roll-ups, you know? And again, we think we're doing something helpful for our child by not bringing it in the house, but we live in a world where these foods exist. And yeah. so you need to learn right? how to live with, with all of these yes. different things. There was someone who commented. Um, I, I rarely ever comment, but sometimes I'm pulled to just because out of like, you know, empathy or something relatable, never like, you know, I'm not, a, again, I don't have kids, so I don't ever, you know, have a comment on how anyone parents, but someone once commented like, are, are like what happens you know, when our kids grow up and we never teach them that like only eating sugar is bad. It's like, no one needs to be taught that. Like, that's just something, I mean, also what I like about, you know, your group and, and kind of this whole approach to food is that like every food has a purpose and it's the, and it's the like co-mingling of all these different foods that give us, uh, 
you know, the, the quote unquote, like health or the, the balance that we desire. And a lot of times balance doesn't come in the form of one meal in one sitting. So you might have like three very veggie heavy days. And then, you know, it's not like every meal has to be like exactly, but I was like the, you know, the only thing that happened when I went to college or when I was living on my own was like, I just bought all the food I wasn't allowed to eat as a kid. Like it, I was rebelling. Um, and weirdly, you know, I grew up in a house where my parents really didn't have strong opinions or punishments when it came to like trying alcohol or drugs. And I don't really drink and I don't really do a lot of drugs. Like, you know, and, but I had friends who like, if they got caught drinking, it was like grounded for months. And like, what happened when they went to college? They drank all the time. And it's the same thing with food. And I think that one of the, the, the most interesting things that I've learned from this group is that is that kids are so impressionable that no matter what kind of cultural stigmas you ha carry into, you know, your relationship with food, a kid is a really a clean slate and you can start very young and really see some like actual lifelong progress. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what, what you were talking about too, in terms of like, they don't, they don't need to be taught that, right? Like the, you're right. They are, they're a clean slate. When I think about that, what I, what I'm thinking of is how they actually are natural intuitive eaters that can just listen to their body and they wouldn't be preoccupied or wanting all the sweets if we weren't the ones making that be such a big deal. And so what we know is that when, when children are provided for, this is where the structure is important because when children are provided with a variety of different foods, they do tend to eat intuitively, just naturally do. Now, if they're not provided for though, if there is no structure, then yeah, they're going to go get the easiest, quickest thing out of the cupboard. If they're just having to feed themselves all the time and we don't have any structure around it, they are going to gravitate towards what's quick and what's easy, which usually are you know, packaged foods that they can just open the bag of chips or take the granola bar or whatever. So if we're not providing that food for them, then they don't tend to eat as intuitively. Mm -hmm. And that's why this, like we were talking about the division of responsibility is that handholding, it's meeting our child where where they need to be met in that moment. So the younger the child, the more responsibility the parent has until they are gradually letting their child take over a little bit more, a little bit more mm -hmm. until they're a late teenager and able to just competently feed themselves that variety of food, you know, but mm -hmm. really it's us stepping in and um, making certain foods seem like bad and off limits and all of that, but, but they wouldn't be gravitating towards those as much if we weren't the ones making it such a big deal. Right. Right. Which goes back to your point too, about them being able to listen to their body and maybe they do get sick. I mean, that's happened with my kids. I have three kids and I know my, <laughs> my oldest one, he has yelled at me when I've tried to talk, not necessarily about food, but about something else. He'll just be like, just stop talking, right? He's like, <laughs> I don't want your effing lecture right mm -hmm. now. Stop talking. So the more that I'm going to try to lecture him about sweets or something, the more he's going to tune me out and feel like I want to get those sweets, yeah. right? But I've let him get sick from them. Like he's felt not vomiting, although that happens with some kids, but he's felt like doubled over with a stomach ache totally. from eating too much, right? And that to me is 
a great learning experience to be like, I don't want to feel like that again. Instead of screw you, mom, I'm going to eat as much as I want. Right. Because what are you actually, do you want 12 brownies? Is your body saying like, let's have 12 brownies? Or are you saying like, my mom doesn't let me eat brownies. And so I'm going to eat 12 brownies. Like that's not honoring your, you know, sometimes your body also might be saying, I want 12 brownies. We've all been there. Um, but but like, yeah, I mean, I think that that's the thing is that it's it's so much less mental. Um, so much of our so much of our perceptions about food are not actually rooted in like listening to our bodies and feeding them what they need. It's all rooted in like the language that we use with them. I'm going to ask you two questions that I know always come up in the group and because I'm going to assume that um, some of the listeners might have these questions. And and also, if like these aren't questions that you wanted to ask, I like really encourage you guys to join this group, um, but also just to read into like D.O.R. and Ellen Satter and Nicole's work, because it is like life changing for me in my 30s um, to be able to look at food a different way. And especially like when you are on your own and you pay for your own food now, like I really do have an opportunity to actually parent like reparent myself in that way. Um, like I buy a lot of chips. I love chips. They're always in the house. And now I just eat so fewer chips than usual because they're literally always there. And sometimes I'm like, I can't even believe we still have chips, uh, which is a, just a totally different way than I would have been like 20 years ago. Um, my, one of the questions is, okay, so, so, you know, so what I just let my kid like I buy candy and then my kid eats it all. Now I have to go buy more candy and then my kid eats it all. And what I like about what I think the approach is from your end is that the conversation, it's not a free for all, but the conversation is not about punishment, restriction, um, incentive. It's like, Hey, we go to the grocery store once a week. I bought the king size bag of peanut M&Ms when they're gone, they're gone. Like, you know, you can have them whenever you want, but I'm not heading to the grocery store till next week. So like, you know, figure out how you want to, am I right on that? It's like, figure out how you want to ration that out for yourself or you ration it out for them. But it's not like, Oh, my kid wants me to buy a hundred Oreos. And then he ate them all in one day. And now I have to go back out to the store and buy another hundred Oreos. Right. And yeah, there's kind of, you know, some different ways to, to potentially handle that. Um, but exactly what you're saying in terms of like the premise of it is, yeah, I don't just have to buy everything that my child wants when they want it. And I, I look at that too, like with the grocery store, when I go with my kids to the store, sometimes, you know, they're like, I want that cereal. I want that candy. I want that. And I might say like, okay, you can choose one of those things because I have all these other items on my list today and I'm not buying all those, but let's put that on the list for next time then. And then they can pick something else the next time. Or, you know, I'm not going to buy, you know, seven different varieties of chips. I'm like, we can get two for the week or something like that. And then we have all this other food too, right? But in terms of like food waste, in terms of food budget, Mm -hmm. right? In terms of storage space, all of those things go into that decision. It's not because I'm trying to restrict my child. It's not like this is a bad food and we're not buying it. No, right? It's the same way though. I'm not going to buy like, I don't know, I'm not good at I'm like 20 pounds. I don't know. I'm not good at that, but like a fruit or whatever, right? Because I don't want it all to go bad. So this is not like a good food, bad food. This is as the parent, I have the capacity to think about what makes sense for the amount of food that we need for this week. Children are more impulsive. So Mm -hmm. they're just going to be like, I want this. I want that. Right. But so that's why these jobs, like we talk about our job is to think through those things 
that our child isn't going to think through. And then we're going to set them up for success by providing a variety. So if you get the M&Ms, Depending, this will depend on the age of your child. Right. So you might give them right more freedom if you have, I don't know, a twelve-year-old or something. They're going to be choosing more of their food. They're going to be navigating their snacks a bit more. If you have a six-year-old, then you're going to still be providing those M and M's. You're not going to, you know, necessarily just say they're here, eat what you want. But at meals and snacks, you're going to choose when you're going to put some M and M's out, and then they can have some with their snack that day, or with their dinner that night, or whatever it might be. So you're still going to choose when am I going to serve these, mm. and then allow them to have them. Okay, yeah, that makes that does make a lot of sense, and it's interesting to think about it in the way of like, you know, do you have the same conversation as to not sort of put even inadvertently put those like you know quotes quote, treat food on a pedestal. Do you do that with other food in the grocery store too? Do you say like, Hey, like pick one fruit this week. Like, you know, I don't want to have too much fruit because I'm afraid it might go to weight. Like, do you have that conversation about a multitude of different food rather than being like, Oh no, get all the fruit you want, but you can only have one cereal. Cause I, I mean, all of that stuff really does end up weighing into how we perceive food. So is that a conversation you have with your kids also? Like even when it comes to vegetables, fruits, and, and other things, do you, do you say like, we're going to be, you know, we're going to pick one or two this week? Um, yeah, absolutely. So there's, that's what you were speaking to in terms of like neutrality, right? That's that food neutrality piece is absolutely. If I'm going to the store and we're getting fruit in there, like I want, you know, strawberries and blueberries and this, again, I'm going to look at cost. I'm going to look at how much we have. When am I going to be going to the store again? All of those things. And I might say, you know, today we can choose one type of berry. Which one do you want to get? Mm -hmm. Or we can get two. It's the same exact thing that I'm going to think through that and think, you know, okay, we want to have some fruit. We want to have some um, grains or like, you know, easy snack foods like that. We want to have some form of you know, different proteins to have, like, what do we need? And so, yeah, that's that neutrality is how do I get this variety of foods? And I'm going to talk to my child about all of that neutrally. Mm -hmm. So it's so interesting. Um, And then the last question before I get into all of our shopping habits is, you know, the question that always comes up, you know, the like, well, my, um, the idea of health at every size, the idea of health, being really, uh, at least in the last, you know, in the eighties and the nineties, really kind of tied to weight. You know, I remember, you know, going to the pediatrician and my pediatrician would tell my mom like, Oh, you know, Caroline's overweight. Okay. I don't, you know, at that, at that time in my life, I internalized that as one thing, but now I know better, which is like, well, what does overweight mean? You know, like what standard are you holding me to, to, you know, is there anything else that could be causing like, a lot of times weight is the blame for any other issues someone might be having. And often it's sort of talked about that, like, oh, if you fix your weight, if you lose weight, if you become smaller, you won't have any of these other problems. So the idea of health at every size, meaning that health can be possible at any size, um, because health is not about weight and weight does not determine health. And what happens when, you know, you have a parent or a child who is, you know, celiac or who does have, you know, um, a reaction to, I don't know, a certain type of fruit or a certain whatever. How do you talk about 
foods that you do have to naturally restrict yourself from because of your specific like health journey um, without making it feel like, oh, this is bad for me. Um, You know, what's the language there? Yeah, I think that it's it's really important piece to be able to describe how a food affects your individual body as opposed to saying that food is bad, right? Or like we shouldn't eat that food. Instead, being able to say what no matter what it is, whether it's that you're lactose intolerant or if you have celiac or whatever it is, to just say depending on the age of your child, how much depth you would go into, but it could be, right, like, oh, that food hurts my tummy. So I don't like to eat very much of it because it doesn't make me feel well. And when you listen to your body, then, you know, your body will tell you what foods make you feel, you know, well, or if, if a food bothers you, or um, if it's not, if it's something that you found out medically, then it could be, I mean, allergic is a great word to use, right? Like that doesn't mean the food is bad. It just means my body has an allergy. Like that's okay. So I'm going to take all of this is coming from self-care, right? So I'm going to take care of my body by not eating that food because that food hurts my body. But for a lot of people, that food is perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. Don't you think though, that's a slippery slope of like the wellness culture of like, oh, I don't eat a lot of sugar because that hurts my body. But what someone's really saying is, sugar makes me fat. I do not want to be fat. I don't value a fat body and I wouldn't value my own fat body. You know what I mean? Like, how do you, so much of, of wellness culture, I feel like takes from actual wellness and, and uses it in a, in a malicious way. It's just diet culture, you know, in a new outfit, but how is it, how is it different to say, you know, what's the limit of this doesn't make my body feel good versus like, I don't want to eat this because I perceive it as bad and I'm not eating. I assume that there are parents who struggle with this, you know, because people have their own eating stuff and they don't want to pass it on to their kids, but it's hard to, you know, relearn everything and also teach it. Does that question make sense? (laughs) Yeah. I just, it's such a a, a big topic, right? That it's like, I think what, what you're really getting at is that it comes down to intention. Mm -hmm. What is your intention? And you doing your own work on your relationship with food, Mm -hmm. right? Because like, I have no issue saying something like that to my child or saying like, if they want me to eat something saying, you know, oh, I'm not hungry right now. So, you know, I'm not going to eat that or whatever. But (laughs) if you're constantly like on a diet and telling your child that all the time and they're never seeing you eat, you know, a certain food or eat what they're eating because you're always eating something different. They're going to pick up on that. Kids are so, oh my gosh, they just, they, right. They're like sponges. They absorb everything. They pick up on everything. They're so intuitive in that way. And so they're going to know. So there's, I think a big difference of knowing where is this coming from? Is this coming from me being restrictive with myself, Mm -hmm. which to which I would say then like, that's your own work to do around your relationship with food versus is this me actually taking care of myself Mm. and saying like, I'm not going to eat that food because it really does not make me feel well. And you don't need to say it exactly like that to your child, but if they, 
you know, want you to eat something or whatever, and you're not going to, because you can say like, because my body hurts when I eat that food, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, I, I don't think there's like this clear cut answer because each person has to do their own work right. and really be honest with themselves right. about where is that coming from. And I think because we live in diet culture, so so many people that maybe even are listening to this are going to still think, no, that is me doing self-care by restricting that food or they probably wouldn't even say restricting by not eating that food or whatever, that's self-care. But we have to take a really good look at why are you not eating that food? Is it that you have fear about it? Do you have guilt about it? Do you, are you scared that it's going to make you gain weight or because you're trying to lose weight? Like there's so many things wrapped up in this, Yeah, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's so layered. Um, and you know, that's why I joined the group. That's why I stay in the group. That's why I like visit the group and like read all the posts because, it's not easy to you. I could say, you know, until I'm blue in the face that I understand all this stuff, applying it to your own self is very difficult. Um, I've told this story before on the podcast. Like when I got engaged, like all of a sudden you post an engagement photo to Instagram and you are getting targeted with workout plans and diet plans and like how to make your butt look bigger in your wedding dress. And like, Oh my gosh, wedding dress. But like, I mean, it, it is, horrible because you're it's supposed to be a very happy time in your life you're supposed to be celebrating you know someone or you know finding love and partnership for exactly who you are with somebody else and then all you get are all of these ads to be like hey how to change how to change you got to change like like, everything needs to change and one of the things that I did you know in retaliation was I like gained 20 pounds I didn't mean to um and I don't think I wanted to, but it was, I was so, and I was so angry about it. And I was so anti-diet culture that I was like, I am going to eat Burger King three times a day. Like F you. But then I'm like, well, I still don't feel good, but you know what? Like, you know what? That didn't really make me feel great, but at least I wasn't like eating a salad to try to like, be, every time I ate a vegetable, whether I wanted it or not, I was like, I'm doing diet culture. And it's hard to be like, you can have as many vegetables as you want and you're not doing it. There's, and, and it's hard to tell yourself, I'm not doing this because I want to be smaller or because someone told me I can't have Burger King. It's because your body actually wants vegetables, but that voice inside is so much quieter than every other voice outside of your body telling you why and when and how you're eating all of this stuff and how you're treating your body. And so it's crazy to me that like that experience had the opposite effect and that I was still not practicing true self-care by being like, these ads worst nightmare is for me to like keep eating milkshakes every day, you know, and it didn't matter that I had gained 20 pounds. It didn't matter. It it didn't matter to anybody to, to really, to me, to my husband, nothing, but, but it was also like, is it like, did I do right by myself or was I trying to prove a point? And it's hard. It's really hard. I don't envy parents who are like, finding themselves in the position I find myself in and also have to be like, how can I make sure my child doesn't grow up with this mentality around food? Um, 
you know, in the nineties, it was like this really big thing. I'm sure you know this, like it was so big for like the pediatrician would say to my mom and to other parents too, like, why don't you drop them off like a mile and a half before the house and like make them walk the rest of the way home. Like that's how they get exercise. First of all, if you did that today, you'd be arrested. (laughs) You'd literally, literally, they would call child services. Oh, I like just threw my kid out of the car on the highway and he's going to walk home the rest of the way. But it was like, you know, I was forced to play sports. I didn't want to play because, and it was all, it wasn't about the fun of the sport. And I don't blame my parents. This was just how it was. Like it wasn't about the fun of the sport. It wasn't, no one was even listening to me being like, I would rather dance or I would rather do theater or whatever. It was like, like obese kids, like they need to move. Like kids are obese, 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 obese. And that was like a huge thing. And you don't just grow out of that growing up. So, I mean, I really thank you for your work because it's been, it's really honestly been life-changing for me. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, that's, that's the hope of putting more of this out into the world that, you know, people can realize that there could be another way to think about food and bodies and, and that it's not too late to ever start shifting your relationship with food, right? Like it's never too late. And I think, um, you know, you're touching on just so many things again about putting that, that joy back into food, putting that joy back into movement as well. Like really looking at, our bodies tend to want to move, right? Like that's a natural thing is to want to move your body, to release energy, to feel good. Like we know there are benefits to movement, but again, we've made it be this thing that you have to like get in 60. Yes. Right. Or Or like like, I ate a cupcake. So now I need to go to the gym. It's like, geez, like that sucks. Like that cycle sucks. Exactly. But moving you know? can be fun. It's been very interesting to to learn the ways that I like to move and to also enjoy that and to also not feel like I'm like rejecting diet culture also doesn't mean you have to never exercise and never think about what you're putting into your body. It just means that you're not following like society's sort of idea of what you need to be doing. I mean, they're all just trying to sell us something. Um, exactly. And that well, sucks. and that's the big thing, right. About what, what you're getting out with all of this again is going back to that, like external versus internal, right. Yeah. So relying on these external rules for what I'm supposed to eat, what I have to eat, whether that's ourselves from diet culture, whether that's our children and what we're forcing them to do, yes. but there's this external thing telling you what to do with your body versus the intuitive approach of saying what's going to feel good to me right Right. now in terms of food, in terms of movement. What, what do I want to do for me? What's going to feel good? And, and sometimes that is the, the cupcake or the brownie. And sometimes that is the salad because it feels good, but we're not rejecting it or feeling pulled to it because of these external forces. Yes. yes. And it's hard. I mean, it's a, that'll be like a lifelong learning thing. So the earlier, the better, whether you're three or 35 or 55. I mean, I think there's a lot to be learned. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Um, I mean, I could talk about this forever. We've barely scratched the surface. Um, but this is, you know, a shopping and product recommendation <laughs> podcast. But I knew that this conversation would be important. I know that a lot of people are going to be really into it. And I'm just excited to talk to you. But now I have to know, what did you bring Nicole to G Thanks Just Bought It? <laughs> I know, right? Um, so I I think it's actually quite fitting because here we are talking about food. But okay. I love my air fryer. Oh, all the time. Okay. <laughs> I feel like this comes up in the group all the time. Everyone's like, is an air fryer worth it? Which one? And I'm such a sucker for infomercials. And you know, there's always an infomercial about an air fryer. And like, I made a pizza, like I made an ice cream sundae. And I'm like, what, what is this magical thing? Um, how, what, which one do you have? And like, tell me why you love it. Oh my gosh. I should know the brand and I don't, but I, cause I'll tell you this because I was like, I don't know, what do I want for Christmas, right? And so my family does like a big name draw now. And so um, like we always joke that like, I'm talking about like my my, like family of origin, right? Which is now like my sister and my brother and, you know, his now fiance and like all all of that. And so um, we do a big name draw and we joke now that we're older because my sister's like, I wanted a vacuum this year. (laughs) Yes, totally. Give me pots and pans. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I want an air fryer. (laughs) And so (laughs) my brother's fiance picked me and um, she got it from Costco. Nice. And so I was just really excited about it. And I love, I used it yesterday for a party we were going to, to cook sweet potatoes in. Um, But I love it because it cooks food so fast. And it is like, you almost can't mess anything up in there. Like okay, it's like so easy. Okay. Yeah. So easy. You can cook anything in there. I put like steak and fish in there. But like how, um, like, how do you know I can put a fish in the air? Like that's where I'm like, all right, like potatoes. Yeah. Totally get it. Like want a crispy yeah. broccoli moment. You can do that. But if, like, I don't know that I could put a full piece of meat and be like, I trust that this is just going to work out. Like what, like, what is it? Like, I don't get, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't know either. I didn't even know I would use it for stuff like that. I was like, well, my favorite thing ever are like vegetables and French fries. Those are like the best ever. But then I was like, oh my gosh, I can cook fish and steak in here. And I like tried it and um, breaded chicken is so good because it gets that like crisp on the outside. So, so good. And, um, and I just, I don't fry anything because not to be part of diet culture, because I don't want to deal with oil and it like splattering everywhere. Right. So I'm like, no. So when you can still get that like crispy, fun texture on like breaded chicken or something, it's amazing. Um, but I don't know, there's like, you can look on Pinterest for a million recipes. Mm -hmm. It comes with its own recipe book. It has settings on it as well, like, you know, French fries or poultry or whatever. So it has settings. It beeps at you to turn it, (laughs) like all these things. So it's just super easy. And here's the amazing part too. It's so easy to clean. And that's That's why I I was going to ask. Yeah. Because like I love fried food, but like I let someone else cook that for me and I'll go partake in that outside my house. I cannot even imagine a world in which I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to pour some oil on the stove and like hope for the best. Cause not, I know it'll taste good, but I'm like, who's cleaning this up? It's going to be me. And I don't want to do that. I need like a very, if it's too much to clean, I'm not going to deal with it. So like, what do you, is it a dishwasher friendly or do you just like scrub it? Like what's the, what's the routine? Uh, we just wash it. If anything sticks a little bit, we soak it okay. for just a, a little bit. It doesn't even take very long, but it's like non stick. And I do spray it with like cooking spray before I 
put something on the rack. So it's like, it's like a uh, tub kind of that like slides in and out with a handle. It's like a tub. And then it has a rack in it that comes out as well that like you put your food on so that, um, so that you put your food on so that the air can circulate around it. And that's what like creates the like, you know, the crispiness and everything is that the air is moving through there. So it's just like one rack that you can take out. You can put other racks in if you want to stack things, but otherwise it's just like one rack in the inside of the barrel thing. And it feels very nonstick and it's so easy. (laughs) Do your, are your kids old enough to, to operate it for themselves yet? They don't do it themselves, but like my, so my daughter's four, she's my youngest and she loves cooking though. So she helps me by like, seasoning it and she can dump it into the thing um it is really hot though like when you pull out the thing it's really hot but yeah so they don't really do it by themselves but they do um they do help like with the cooking process of it now I know that a lot of times air fryers are always marketed because diet culture is so pervasive and because people will buy anything that's labeled as healthy air fryers are often marketed as like you know, no more gross fried food, like making you gross and fat. And like, it's always like, this is healthy. This is healthy. How do you um, take something that maybe your children are seeing commercials for or hearing about? Because it's, you know, it's like a little pop culture uh, thing that like a lot of people now have in their kitchens or whatever. How do you encourage the idea of like, this is actually a great tool. We can make all these fun foods in there. If they, if they also might be hearing or seeing on the box or seeing a commercial where it's like, Oh, my mom has that thing. Oh, it's so that we don't eat a lot of fat food. Like how do you combat that uh, and make it more about, you know, just another fun way to cook the food we like? Well, I think that's exactly it. What you just said, right? It's, it's a fun way to cook the food we like. And I put oil on the food that I'm putting in the air fryer, you know? So it's like, I'm still coating it in oil and seasoning and then putting it in there. I'm not saying we're not having it. And, and you're reminding me of like the, um, spiralizer that I have too, right? Yes. That people are like, Oh, the zoodles, yeah. the zoodles to replace the pasta. And I'm right. like, no, but it's super fun for my kids to spiralize yes. zucchini Yes, and we cook it. It's one, it's a different form yes. of eating zucchini. We still eat pasta, though. You know what I mean. So it's right. like we're not replacing. We're not anything. replacing mm. things. Nope. We're just using it for fun to get a different shape, to try a different cooking method, whatever it is. So, to be honest with you, my kids have not specifically with this sort of thing brought up the, you know, health healthisms of it. Mm-hmm. They get it other places about other things, sure. that, and we have to navigate those conversations. For these, though, I really think it's just about eating the same foods we enjoy and having fun with them in different ways. Sure. And I'm sure it's fun for the kids to like press the buttons on the thing. Cause like we all love pressing a yeah. button. It's like the elevator, the elevator of oh, yeah. food is the air yeah. fryer, the microwave. So I mean, my daughter's like, I like, I just want to eat this thing so I can so press, can press the, the microwave button. button. Sure. I mean, like, same, yeah. obviously I'm like, I got to use the micro. I went three years without a micro a microwave in uh Brooklyn and I recently got one when we moved to Los Angeles because we didn't have the counter space in Brooklyn we just tried to live without it I'm so happy it's back I don't know how anyone lived without you would have thought I lived in 1957 the first few weeks back with a microwave after three years I was like you can put this frozen food in three minutes like like there's nothing less fun than putting like an easy frozen meal 
in the oven for like 48 minutes. You're like, there's nothing easy, fun, convenient about this. So I was happy to have my microwave back. So I do, I, I get it. Your daughter and I are on the same page. We both like pressing the buttons. Totally. Um, and air, so, so have you done a steak in an air fryer? Do you have tips for anyone who's really only done potatoes and vegetables? Cause that's sort of my speed, but I would love to work up to a steak in an air fryer. Yeah, it's honestly, Caroline, it's so easy. I don't even know how to give tips. Like (laughs) you just like season it and spray the thing and put it in there and look up for like how long you should cook a certain thing and you just do it. Like you don't have to do anything. I love that. Now, were you on the instant pot train as well? Back when that was the thing? I I was and I still like my instant pot. Oh, good. I don't use it as much, but um, I was. And I mean, it's like, I guess you could just have a rice cooker, but it's like rice in the Instant Pot is the best sure. thing ever. Yes. Um, and other foods too. I mean, like that I would take, just would take longer to cook. Like you could put a whole chicken in the Instant Pot yes. and cook it in like minutes. You yes. know what I mean? So I think it's still very valuable for a lot of things, but I don't use it as much as I did when I was first super excited yeah. about it. Well, I think no one does because the Instant Pot craze in like 2016 was like a very real thing. Um, yeah. It's weird. I don't cook, but of course I bought one and was like, I'm going to use it. And like, they never used it. My husband cooks and he's also one of those people that finds the joy in the length and process of cooking where I'm like, is there any machine where I can put a box yeah. of pasta, a cup of water, a stick of butter, yeah. a block of cheese and come out with a meal like I don't I don't want to sit at the stove and watch something sear I don't find joy from that okay like I find joy from watching Real Housewives we're all different that's what makes the world go round but yeah I feel like the air fryer would would give me some similar relatable I have a convection oven I think that does have an air fryer setting and I love it similar to what you said which is like especially in the summer I don't want to turn my oven on in the house I don't need that and you live in California too it's like, it's too much. Like you can, that like putting on the oven in the summer raises your house like 15 degrees. Oh my gosh. I know. And it's like a hundred right. today. Exactly. So, so that's like yeah. a really hot. The oven is like for an October pie for like a yes. chili on Christmas. I use the convection oven all the other times because it doesn't, it like does the job is less to clean. And I'm not like, what's the point of having the air conditioner on and paying so much money to do that? If I'm just going to put my oven at 500 degrees, I might as well sit in a sauna. Um, But I haven't really tested the lengths that my convection oven slash air fryer can go. And I know it can go far because it came with a rotisserie like spin. And I was like, I don't know that I trust myself to do this. I have visions of me throwing a full chicken in the garbage being like, well, I messed that up and I don't want to do that. So I'm excited to know that you have actually cooked a steak in an air fryer and like everything has been okay. Um, The world has been okay okay. with me cooking a steak (laughs) in the air fryer. Yes. And it's great. Honestly, I like, I mean, I don't want to talk it up too much. And then someone's like, oh, whatever. It just looks like food, you know, but like, but I, I, here's the other thing though. It has made me like it cooks so fast that I feel like even when I don't know what I'm going to make for a meal or something, I don't have to worry that I didn't start it an hour before or something. Like I can do things really quick. And I think this is part, I actually really like cooking, Mm. but with my kids now and how busy, like I, 
I work. And then when we have, now my kids are at the age, my oldest is nine. We have practices like right, right after we started, things started opening up more. I was like, we legitimately have something every single day of the week, every single day between all the kids and their practices and games and shuffling. So if I can use my instant pot to like cook something while I'm gone or right. And like, let it sit in there. Or if I can throw something in the air fryer when we walk in the door and have dinner ready in like 20 minutes, you know, it's so easy. So that's why I like it. No, totally. I mean, the thing about cooking sometimes is that if you get experimental, sometimes you're not eating dinner, you know, until an hour or two after maybe you thought you would. And when you have children, you can't really do that. Like they need to eat and they also need to go to bed. So you can't have like an 11 PM dinner. Like sometimes we have in this house. Um, and I, and I get that. And I also like convenience is like everything. And also some people don't like to cook. Like I, I always love sometimes, and, and it never happens in the G thanks community because everyone's very respectful and nice. And like also understands that yucking someone's yum is not productive in any way, but there are some other groups I'm in that, you know, like that have talked about air fryers or, or instant pots in such a disdainful way that is like, Oh, I would never. Okay. Well, <laughs> I would never again, stand at the, at the stove and watch something sear. I have a lot of Bravo to watch. I'm very busy. So it's funny. Like, yeah, some people are like, this is my holy grail in the kitchen. And some people are like, it's not for me. I just think it's great that it exists. Um, I, you have to tell me the brand of the air fryer just so I can let everyone know. Have you had any good before we end air fryer fails? Anything you do not recommend anything you saw on Pinterest that you were like, I can do that. And it went very wrong. Any caveat mTORs for the for the shoppers? It is so funny. I don't think I have. Wow. I'm like, I know. Okay. I'm like really trying to rack my brain. Have I? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I, I did this. I we so we like go camping, but really it's like kind of glamping and we like plan out all these elaborate meals, That's you know, because everyone has like yes. RVs and stuff <laughs> now. So like we went on this trip, uh, I don't remember earlier this year. Mm -hmm. And, um, (laughs) and so I like, we, you know, coordinate like themed nights for every night and we are having barbecue night. And I'm like, Oh, the French fries and the air fryer are the best thing ever. I brought like all my appliances that trip for whatever reason. I think I was making (laughs) rice for Asian night in my instant pot. I had the like air fryer pot for another night. I was like, Oh my God, it's ridiculous. But anyways, I thought that I should make French fries for like 25 people. Sure. You cannot like batch in there enough. Like you can't put like, you know, 20 pounds of potatoes in there at once. So I think I was air frying for like four hours (laughs) trying to, maybe it was more like two, but still it was ridiculous. Like it did. Yeah. It felt like forever because yeah, I could only cook so much at a time. So that is the one thing about it is that so it's not a bulk you can't, like, cooking effort. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, that's good to know. I mean, because I mean that is good to know. Sometimes the uh, nothing can recreate the big uh, the oven. I get it. Um, yeah. That is that's great. I'm glad to have somebody really shouting the praise of, of the air fryer. I feel like I've never, I have, you know, this convection oven, but I feel like I've not used it enough to be able to be like, yeah, totally. Everyone should do it. It would be disingenuous. I only make French fries in there. Um, but that is fascinating. And again, I think your work is so important. I'm so happy that it's a community that's 
open not just to parents um, because I've, I have found it so helpful for me. I know there are people in the group who have joined it um, after the last time we talked about it on the podcast. I hope it brings even more people over there. And uh, yeah, I'm just I'm so, so excited to to have gotten to have this very important conversation with you. And I really appreciate that you came to the show. Oh, well, thank you. I'm so glad that we got to do this as well. And yeah, I, I hope people want to join and um, join the Facebook group, Joyful Eating for Your Family, and, you know, potentially get a new perspective. And I just want to encourage anyone that is joining, it can be really countercultural to like, it is countercultural. And it might even feel like, what are these people talking about? Like, let your kid eat you know, candy yeah. or like dessert and not eat their dinner, like that can feel really wrong. And so I just want to encourage anyone to, to kind of hang out there for a bit yes. and read through the post Definitely. and like understand a little bit more around it. And hopefully, I mean, in hearing us talk today, they can kind of get where we're coming from about restriction and how it doesn't work and all of that. But um, I think it, it can just be um, a little confusing for people. Totally at first, um, to, to understand. Yeah, I would definitely encourage that as well. That's what I did. Um, I didn't know anything moving into that space. You know, the, one of the first things I started doing, um, after, you know, a friend who's a parent posted something to her Instagram, which is, I think a little bit more parent content centric, uh, of like kids eating color or something, or, you know, in that vein and the same work that you do. And I was like, it was, it was a visual of just, you know, how to present a plate of food to your two-year-old and something in me clicked that was like, I didn't get this. Like I need this. And so then I just started paying attention and, and it will feel very radical at first because it is radical. Yeah. It's like an extremely radical point of view. And even when I catch myself thinking like this could never work, it's not because it could never work. It's all because I have, I have 35, how old am I? 33, 34 years of, um, <laughs> I'm aging myself. I have 34 years of, biases about food and health and size and worth and all of that stuff wrapped up in me mm -hmm. standing in between me and kind of really understanding how this could potentially work. But remember a child doesn't have any of that. Um, and so, you know, it, I think, you know, if you, we, if we give kids the, and ourselves really the benefit of the doubt, it actually is, is sort of like genius. Um, and yeah, just hang out, read the posts. Your moderators are amazing. Uh, I've watched them swiftly step in when needed. <laughs> and I think ever, I think the great thing about that group is everyone really is there with very good intentions. Um, it's just very difficult uh, as an adult, if you were never raised this way around food, to really literally strip yourself of all of that yeah. experience and then rebuild those blocks. So yeah. it's fascinating. Um it's amazing. I really appreciate it. And um, thank you so much for your time and for coming to the show. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad um, we were able to do this. Absolutely. And everyone, you can catch the links to um, Joyful Eating for Your Family with Nicole Cruz in the show notes. The She will send me this exact air fryer she has yes. based on her description and the fact that she bought it on Costco. I have an idea, um, but uh, I'll, get, I'll definitely get the right one. And I'll even throw in the recipe for how to cook a steak in an air fryer. And if you try it, please tag us. I would love to see your air fryer steak. And we'll see you next week for another episode of Do Thanks for the Bonnet. Oh, 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 oh,